Hello everyone, welcome to BYOB Podcast, episode 20. Oh, I always, why do I always start like this? I always pretend that I know the episode. I think it's episode 28, but an absolute You've had a mare, mate. with you again. But Western luckily, it's again. spooky season. Hey, what a time to have a nightmare. Off, that off. voice you can hear is Mr. Hussey. Uh, a Jack more handsome than Grealish, more talented than Nicholson, and far funnier than Black. Hey, and like an absolute uh, hussy for films. <laughs> How are you, sir? Like yeah, not bad, not bad, mate. It's a bit better than with a special man, isn't it? Like... <laughs> with a special man who wandered in off the street. I like that. Do you know what? Are you just saying... Jack Jack Black there, and also us doing this spooky season. It's already it's already getting me excited about um, the Christmas film I'm talking about in particular. Is the holiday right? Oh, um, I, I'm a bit. I'm a big fan of the holiday. You, I'm a huge fan. It's the bit when he's doing the uh, when he does the music. You know, he's all like rude. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right? I he right. He's the epitome of someone that I can watch on. Uh, on screen and I would be like oh that's really funny if he was your mate I think at some point I'd be like can you shut it (laughs) shut up let the other one like talk a bit just shut up but I find him like uh, the thing I like about Jack Black is I find him like a less um I don't really know how I can put this like constructively he's just like a less annoying shall I say Jim Carrey and I love Jim Carrey I did like a lot of his old films but also, sometimes in some films, he really needs to rein it. <laughs> Do you what's know what your, I mean? What's your worst Jim Carrey? Please, Jim, stop that now. Uh, it's 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 bad to say because it's like the movies that made him. But Ace Ventura, I have tried to revisit in the past few years. Really, and I, and I found them nothing but annoying. Like I really <laughs> like, and I loved them. I loved them when I was a kid. God, there's some fine wine or war crimes to do on those as well, oh. mate. I tell you now. But. Are you, can I just say, I, let's just say we're going for the uh, burning his clothes scene. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> a war know, crime. Like, yeah, I mean, a lot of that. Yeah, but Ace Ventura, the affected personality. Like, like I say, watching that when I was, what, 30, 10, 12, 13, 14, however old I was when it came out, and loving it, being like, this is fucking brilliant it's so funny he's so annoying yeah and i watched it back like this is so irritating (laughs) you know can i tell you one more thing on jack black that i quite enjoyed i did he do jumanji with the rock he did yeah and then he on all of the junkets he just ripped the piss out of the rock and like did that really sort of like deep voice and kind of like constant people's eyebrow thing and like it was just really really nice it's it's one thing that I've always found to be really, really funny, but also endearing. It's when the funny kid can always get one over on the massive guy because he can I was, make I, people I, laugh. I was going to say, do you think though? Do you think there may be an element of the Rock being a bit like Homelander? You know, Homelander from the Boys. When yeah, yeah. He's all friendly <laughs> yeah. in the junket. Then afterwards, he's like, "Who does that fat asshole think he is?" Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and it, it just sort of goes out of shot, and then he burns lasers through it. <laughs> <laughs> and like in the junket, he's got that huge smile on his face. That ha ha ha! Gosh, isn't this funny? Get out, get out the door, and he's spine busted him for a table. <laughs> just goes straight into the what? What's it call it? The Iron Fortress, isn't it? You know his gym he takes with him everywhere. And he's doing all these. Oh like, my god! Yeah. I I didn't realize it had a name. 
Yeah, yeah, he's got it's, it's something Iron Paradise, the Iron Fortress, something like that. Whatever it is that he calls it, but he um, is massive, isn't he? He yeah, is I mean, like. Have you ever seen him? Natty get or not, mate, for you. Natty or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like. I. I would. For me, he's like. He was as a kid. I always thought he was the the absolute nuts. So I. I yeah. like. For me, if he says he's if he says he's good, then I trust him. And I will be proven completely wrong by about he, he a million. He often does. I think he said himself is a lot of it, and it's true. It's genetics. Do you know what I mean? A lot of it's genetics. Like, and you know that. You know that yourself. Like I know we're on a bit of a tangent here, but when you're like, when you when you're in a good, <laughs> a good vein of lifting. God, I'm going full. Do you lift, bro? But you know when you are you lift lifting M9? and you just know that like I'm I'm somebody that like I can pack fat on very easily or I can pack muscle on. So when I'm being disciplined, when I'm like in a good regime, I know I can sort of bulk up pretty quickly. I've got mates who just can't, they do creatine, yeah. they do everything. They just can't do it. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's just how it, how it works, doesn't it, for some people. Can I just say, this is magnificent. Before we started the pod, <laughs> producer Purdy said, look guys, please, just at the top, Try and keep it tight. <laughs> and we're like six minutes in <laughs> talking about the nature of utilising creatine to try and put on muscle mass. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, tell you, let's, let's, I'll jump to his, his, his. We'll get back on track. Purdy. Producer Purdy, he has picked out for us a, uh, a comment from Unfound Films. Thank you very much um, for your comment on The Conjuring podcast. And Unfound oh. Films have said, I'm sure it's the perfect horror film. If it's the only one you've ever seen, I'm sure... Okay, I don't know if this is a good thing or not. Hang on. I'm sure it's the perfect horror film if it's the only one you've ever seen. It can take place... It can it can take first place for more uninspired and the paint-by-numbers horror movie, though. Okay, I get I get it. I'm, right. Okay, and then so did, you're having did, a dig at us Did Purd's reply say... Purd's put, ha-ha, interesting. And that is... He only put two has, so I'm assuming Purdy wasn't laughing at that. Passag, yeah. That's yeah, passag, yeah. ha-ha. It's passag. Yeah, sure, interesting. It's ha-ha-ha-ha with a crying eyes emoji if you actually find something funny. You know? Ruffle. Um, what, 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 why are you not such a big fan of this one? And what's a better example of the perfect horror? And then Unfound Films... Have said the Conjuring's biggest problem is it's too safe. I'm never uncomfortable because I already know everything that's going to happen. The scares are predictable. The characters are bland, and no risks are taken. Hmm. That's interesting. I don't interesting. know if I fully agree. I think what I would say is I would say in, in response to that, as we did flag at the time, I do think like the the sort of final act of the film, it does get a bit predictable. It does become a kind of yeah, I agree generic. Oh, she's possessed. She's got a demon face, and isn't this all scary? However. Um, I do believe really the first half of the film there is a, there is a sense of originality to it. He's taken the haunted house genre, the whole tropes, and I do think he's taken it to a new place. He has taken it to a darker place, a more sinister place um, that was more in keeping with a you know with a a contemporary audience. I felt anyway. That's that's how I. No, felt I agree with that. I yeah. agree with that. Um, uh, I think that we haven't. There was no other comments that Purdy's put down, so I think we're good to we're good to strike from here. He said, <laughs> "Like lads, come on." <laughs> Why are we doing bulking uh, talk? <laughs> brilliant. Fair point. Um, Fair point. So we we both met to the cinema this week. Three things to go through. Do you want to do Blackberry first? Why not? Yeah, go on then. Blackberry. Yeah, because I I I know nothing about this, so run me through it. So, Blackberry, I, I have a bit, I, I will say, when I first 
saw this. I was going through the listings again. It was a, it was a Saturday. Charlotte was out. Um, you know, <laughs> this really is starting to sound like a bit of a, she has left him, you know. I've got about that. Um, <laughs> I've got she has left him. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was again. I was sort of thinking, well, okay, well, let's let's go, let's go watch a film, let's see what's on. And I saw Blackberry, and I was thinking, oh god, you know what? We've had Air, we've had the Tetris film, we've had. I'm sure there's other origin stories. The Founder. What are the other ones we've had recently? We've had plenty of. Them, uh, well, we, I mean, though? like the um, uh, Dumb Money was a kind of similar yeah, kind yeah, of vibe, yeah, right? To a degree. So it's kind of you know, oh, do we need another one of these films that goes back and revisits? So, cultural thing that happened and blah 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 i was very cynical about it but i thought let me just let me at least have a read of some of the reviews reviews are like this is bang on really good film very funny like yes they're using history as a kind of vessel to tell a story but it's a sharp film it's got the kind of docudrama feel of the office witty dialogue believable characterization very good go and watch it you'll enjoy it so yeah i thought okay Let's let's have a look at this. Let's 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 see what it's about. So um, we're basically following. I mean, for some people now, BlackBerry is going to seem like a, a an almost alien creation. But BlackBerry's the first smartphones, really. That's that's they what were they the were. The first QWERTY keyboard smartphones, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, this is at a time when you kind of you've got your normal numerical keypad and you typing out a text message by you know scrolling through the numbers and everything it was it was you know it was an interesting time it was actually a lot quicker than you think it would be once you got used to it however mm. the qwerty keyboard came along and not not only was it about the keyboard there was a certain technology within there essentially they managed to hack um they managed to hack the i guess the the network providers space their airtime their data um, airwaves, if you like. I, I haven't really solved this in a, in a technical way particularly well, but they, they basically found a way in which people could not only send emails, but send messages for free. They would be using data. It wouldn't be using the standard text messaging format that everyone had been doing previously. So, so it was a great option for business people and all this type of stuff. But what, 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 what we see is the origin story of this smartphone that came in and at one point owned... It came from almost nothing to owning pretty much half the cell phone industry, if you like. So got rid of Samsung, Sony Ericsson, it got rid of Nokia, all these big giants who had dominated this space for a long time. Um, I didn't know anything about the story of uh, BlackBerry until I saw this, and it, it, it's fascinating. So it follows... Um, it, it, it's Jim Baruchel, who normally we see play these kind of comedy roles, isn't in this case. He's, he's playing serious. He's playing Mike, um, who is the founder of, I believe the company is called, I think from what I remember, they're called like PIF or something like that. They've got this, they've got this strange company and it's basically him with a load of all I can say, nerds, his mates who they love to watch old movies. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Um, they love to watch old movies. They love to play Doom on their servers and all these other old video games, Command and Conquer and things like that. And in between that, what they're trying to do is create a kind of tech company. They've been messed about by one of their contractors who they agreed to make a load of modems for. They're down and out. They've got no money. And they have this plan to sell this mobile phone that is 
very much a concept at this point in time. They want to sell it to one of the big phone companies, get some backing and get this phone actually made. They end up going into the offices of a of just a sort of generic tech company and meet this kind of terrifying account manager who goes by the name of Jim, um, who isn't at all interested in their pitch, thinks they are a mess, thinks they're slobs, thinks they're nerds and losers. Has no interest. If you've seen, have you seen um, Entourage, the series Entourage? I've never watched um, that. You haven't? Well, there's a character in there called Ari Gold, who is this kind of sharpshooting, kind of on his mobile phone agent fixer, calls everyone, Diane, get me blah in San Francisco. We're going over there tonight kind of thing, you know, when it comes to brokering a deal. He, so he's, he's this type of character, Jim. And he basically gets made redundant from his job a few weeks later. And he, he remembers this chat he had with these two kind of nerds, the, this pitch that they gave him. So he goes to the company and he sees a future for this mobile phone. He sees it as something he can sell. He's got connections within the tech industry. He can take this to them and see if he can at least make a buck out of this because he understands that the, the cell phone market is growing. Um, and we just follow the story from there. We follow the story coming from what is literally an operation in a, a pokey little office somewhere um, where guys are making a prototype BlackBerry out of bits that they've collected from, you know, old Game Boys, old calculators, all these old bits of electronic stuff. Because these guys are geniuses. They're absolute geniuses, but they're not salesmen. They can't sell it. They don't know how to sell this product. So you see this almost perfect storm of Jim and Mike and Mike's best friend, Doug, as well, um, turning this company into one of Silicon Valley's biggest properties, a huge multi-billion dollar company that is absolutely commanding everything. And you see kind of the, the characters change, the way in which the not only money, but power changes people, the way influence changes people. Um, and it's it's very, very interesting. It's, it's, it's absolutely bizarre. The, the only way I could put it now is, to anybody who's too young to remember BlackBerry or anything, imagine if I were to say to you in five, ten years' time, people would say, <clears throat> remember iPhones. You know, that that's the reality of it. Yeah. That's the reality of looking yeah. back on BlackBerry, if you're somebody that doesn't remember them, or remembers it as something, oh, I think that's the phone my dad used to have when I was a kid. Just imagine an iPhone being as obsolete as that now, because we're talking about a company, like I say, that owned a near 50% of the market share in cell phones for overnight to now having 0% of the market. Oh, unbelievable. And it was genuinely, I, I, I want to kind of stress this because it was such an important part of my growing up. But we had just at work the other day, we had, couple of kids come in to do some work experience and I asked them just as a bit of research more for my own interest than anything else I sort of said to them when you open your phone and let's just say you've got an iPhone you flick it up to unlock it it does the facial recognition thing and then the, the menu pops up where does your muscle memory in your hands take you to what do you go and open first what do you click on what do you engage with and so they were saying that to speak to their friends, they jump straight onto Snapchat. And for anything else, they're just sitting on TikTok and scrolling through it. And then maybe Instagram would be third. And then maybe, yeah, push 
Twitter possibly would be fourth if they were, wanted to see what was going on in, in the football. For our generation, we do a lot of our chatting on WhatsApp. Um, mm. I was shocked to learn that basically the only reason why young people use WhatsApp is to speak to their parents, which made me feel incredibly old and tragic. It's bonkers, isn't it? <clears throat> do you think it's an MSN Messenger throwback? Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And before that, for us, if you had a BlackBerry, it was BlackBerry pin. You'd be yeah. on nights out and you'd be sat there and you chatting to someone and, and then you'd be like, oh, get me on BB pin. And what you do is you hold up a QR code and the other person would like within BlackBerry pin, which was basically the WhatsApp of his time, you opened up, um, you opened up your sort of scanner and you scan the other person's QR code and then you could chat to each other via your individual unique BlackBerry pin, which was, it sounds ludicrous now, but for years it was the business. It was the absolute yeah. thing. And then iPhone just wiped it out. And I sort of thought- Spoiler alert. Soz. But I like when, when iPhone rocked up, it kind of, I was gutted. I, I did that thing. You know, the whole law of diffusion of innovation. I did that thing where I was like, no, I'm clinging on to this. It, it works for me. It's good. And then you just see just after a while, the entire world just moves away from it. And you don't want to be the last person left holding a worthless BlackBerry, you know. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Absolutely it's, fascinating. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's bonkers. Um, but does it manage to, do, do, to avoid the criticisms of... Those other films you mentioned, you know, I, mean, I, people... I didn't. I didn't even particularly hate those films. I just, do you know what I mean? It's just you feel they're a bit, you know, paint by numbers now, right? Cookie yeah, it's a cutter, bit wicky, isn't like. it? That's it. And uh, yes, this film it does have an element of that. Like you, you will watch this film and you will think, "I've seen this before. I know. I know the beats of this. I know how this goes. I know how it ends." Right, we all know these films are going to end with the story at a kind of ambiguous point, and then there'll be some text cards at the end that will tell you the fate of the characters and so on and so forth. It does all those things. It ticks all those boxes. That it's it does jump through time as well. You know, there are sort of I think there's two or three flash forwards throughout the film. However, what I would say is so the script and the direction. So. Matt Johnson, who is the writer and director of this, also plays one of the main characters, Doug, in the film. Um, he's he, he's brilliant. And I only realised this until... I only actually realised this when I was going to talk about this this evening, that he wrote, directed, and starred in it. Because he's brilliant in the film as an actor. The direction and the, the writing on show is, is fantastic. It's sharp. It's snappy dialogue. If you've liked Succession, if you've watched Succession and you've enjoyed that think along those lines but less dark it's not as dark as succession it's lighter it's more fun there's a more nerdy playfulness to this film but it's it's like i say it's it is very fast-paced it's amusing the characters are relatable you, you can enjoy the performances like i say uh, jay baruchel um who you normally see as a as a comedy actor my mind goes straight to knocked up yeah, and, right. And the pink eye bit. Exactly right. But in this, a very straight role, a very serious role, actually. His character in particular has little to no comedic moments and he smashes it. Bit of a ropey wig, I would say, at the start. I think he's playing a character <laughs> that's a bit older than he is. It, it is a bit of a stretch to, to believe it, but he's still, he's very good. The film is good. It's good fun. 
I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. That's what I'd say. Do you know what I mean of it? But I enjoyed it. I don't think, I don't mean that as a, as a criticism of the film. I just think it's that type of film where I'm like, I've seen that. That's good. I enjoyed it. I feel the same way about Air. Yeah. To be fair. I enjoyed it. It ticks some boxes for me. I probably won't ever watch Mm. it again. You know, let's move on. One that we've both seen this week, The Creator as well. Now, last week, I think we spoke about it on the pod, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did, yeah. Because yeah. we said about the trailer and it kind of, it, it it grabbed me, but it also didn't. How did you find this one, mate? Oh, um, I did a tweet that I, what I would say is in, in like, in summary of this, very briefly, um, I would say that the creator was a film that I didn't love, but I didn't hate. It just was kind of there. Um, it felt like it was a film that could have said so much more than it did. Yep. Um, so much so, the, the best way I can put this, mate, is that it felt like, and I don't know if you'll know what I mean, it felt like one really long trailer. Like, yeah, I saw your tweet on that. That's a really good, it's a really good way of putting it. It never really delved into anything. I don't. I never felt any real emotional connection with any of the characters or any of the storyline whatsoever. Um, but I thought the film was it was it was pretty beautiful, right? It was beautiful to look at. Um, look, I mean, look, just just for anybody that hasn't seen it, so it's very. Imagine a film. If somebody imagine if somebody said to you. Combine Avatar, Blade Runner, and The Terminator into one film. That's essentially what the creator is, just without all the brilliant bits of all of those films, right? So <laughs> yeah, kind of, really well put. Yeah. But, but with the kind of visual m- majesty, I suppose. Yeah, I, I would, I would go down that. I would say that because um, it is, it's amazing to look at. It's, a, it's a futuristic war essentially where we've seen this story before with Terminator. A, human beings create AI. AI gets more smart than us. AI drops a nuclear bomb on America, um, and America, subsequently through that point, in an almost District Nine kind of way, um, wages a, I guess what you would say, genocide upon the AI living within the American society. And once it's done that, it wants to expand that around the world and destroy all AI everywhere. AI in Asia, for example, as they call, what is it? The new Asian Republic, I believe they call it, which Mm. is an area which seems to be essentially like Korea, China, Japan, um, and lots of the surrounding area. They live in harmony with AI, um, and they've they found a way to yeah completely live together. But obviously, this isn't good enough for America. America sees the need to wipe this off the face of the planet um, using their big super weapon. Which what is even the name of it? I can't even remember. Oh, I've the forgotten name of it, what the name of it is. It's basically like mm. a, a a sort of hovering human cloud, isn't it? It's yeah. like it's it's a massive piece of metal that is just constantly scanning over the top of of the areas that the the US might consider dangerous um but i think and and essentially that's killing off bits of ai can i cuz you're you're sort of like indifferent on this one right so you're kind of like it didn't move you but it wasn't dreadful yeah so i'm i'm erring on the side i'm falling on the side of this was not a great film mm. um and 
I if if an average film is like a I don't know a five out of ten, I'm coming in at sort of three and a half four here, because I found myself getting a bit bored. I think the good bits, like you said, the world building, there's some fairly interesting angles that they're going after. John David Washington, I think his, I think he's showing that he's going to be someone that could in the future could really carry films. Um, I think like Tenet was quite early days, right? It's it was it was still, and that was one of Nolan's films where he, he was perhaps a little bit too complex and a bit too intricate. But I think in the future we'll see John David Washington as someone who people really, really sort of are like, oh, it's it's bound to be a banger, you know? Is it? He's in it. It's bound to be a great film. In in the same way that kind of like we've spoken about four or five other actors that kind of have that at the moment. I think he's still not quite in that bracket yet. Um, but he's good in this. Madeline Boyle's the the little the little sort of AI child in this is brilliant. Um, but beyond that, there are so many gaps in this. There's so many gaps in terms of story. It seems to be set in a kind of semi-alternate future. Yeah. Um, where AI... The, one of the one of the biggest problems that I have with this is the kind of idea of anthropomorphism, right? In that usually you would have like people use that word to talk about animals having human features, and and then people treating them like like humans, right? So mm. we often would watch a David Attenborough documentary, and you see a tiny little group of of wolf cubs, and you're like, oh, they're so cute, or a tiny baby bear, and you're like, oh, they're so cute. And if you went within like five feet of them, they would literally tear your head off and kill you. Um, and that was one of the things I really struggled with in, in this film is that it really portrayed this idea of AI being something that would be capable of human emotion and be like, hey, we can live together in harmony. Why wouldn't we do that? You know, and it, and there is just <clears throat> no part of me that believes that AI would have things as fallible as sort of like hope and, and weakness due to emotion. You know, they're everything that computers do is binary, you know? So it was not, I, I couldn't get on board with that. I think the AI was massively simplified. So from sudden, on one hand, you've got them being able to do the crazy things with the technology. And on the other hand, they can't be seen by a floating radar. Like they, mm. All these things on the ground can't be seen by this thing that's supposed to be super omniscient. It, it just, there was so much that just lost me in it that I came away being like, meh, that's all right. But not not even, not getting above a five out of 10, definitely for me. Um, and it's it's a shame because uh, I really did enjoy Rogue One. You know, I, I thought mm. Rogue One was a really, really good film. And that kind of meant for me that I was like, okay, maybe as it's a Gareth Edwards film, it'll like have some of those things that will grab hold of you and some nice jumps and shocks. And I've also seen a lot of reviews saying that, that people really enjoyed it. So there is obviously something there, but it just didn't do it for me. Um, I, I feel, do you know, one of the main things I would say about it, one of the main criticisms I would have of it is that I don't think it, it justified enough of its own emotional beats. It lent too heavily on the type of films I was listing there previously. To, yeah, to kind of, yeah, yeah. it was relying on the audience having seen <clears throat> other films or done their own independent kind of reading on things like AI and stuff like that yeah. for it to really make a point. And, and like you say, just if you're going along this kind of film that's part philosophical, part, you know, in exploration into technological advances and stuff, 
be a bit more concise. Um, yeah. And I, I'm really kind of think about what type of film you wanted to make because I didn't know if it was supposed to be something that was deep, that was philosophical, or if it was just supposed to be an action film. And yeah, th- yeah, there's a really good um, that point you just made. There's a there's a YouTuber called Chris Stuckman who did a review of this, and he talked about essentially filmmaking in Hollywood at the moment how hard it is to get an original idea off the ground. So in order to get buy-in from people a lot of the time, you'll have to be like, oh, well, it's kind of a bit like this. You know how people enjoyed this film? It will be like this when you're sort of pitching films in. Um, so I, I I wonder whether the taps is an element of, of leaning on that to try and get this away because it's just harder and harder to go out. And make. I think this was only 80 million budget as well, um, which is not astronomical. Uh, impressive what they've achieved on that, I will say. Oh. Yeah, because you don't, you don't, the, the, um, the CGI doesn't throw you, does it? No. The CGI is all very passable. So they've done a, they've done a fairly decent job on that. We should move on to this week's film. Let's move on to this week's film. It Follows. Why did you pick it? I picked It Follows because we are in spooky, scary season. I felt Ooh. that this film represented a bit of something that we haven't done so far. Um, it's in the elevated horror category, as people call it. Can you tell um, me, what does that mean? So elevated horror is something that is almost parodied now. The The reboot of Scream, I don't know if you saw that, came out in 2021, I think I want to say. They sort of make fun of elevated horror. We're talking about films like Hereditary, It Follows, The Babadook, where the films have they have an explicit metaphorical purpose as opposed to a kind of, you know, a fairly nebulous metaphorical purpose as most horror films generally do. They're generally and like an allegory for something or other, right? Think back to even like the original night of the living dead, which is about kind of racial hatred, the original dawn of the dead, which is about mass consumerism and that's all becoming zombies, so on and so forth. But elevated horror is generally something that relies on less of the old horror tropes, the jump scares, the monster, the whatever. And it more comes from a sense of fear and dread of things that are quite be- quite believable in a way and just quite executed in a, in a sophisticated, more highbrow fashion, if you like. Less gore, less blood, less guts, but more moody art house stylings, more sinister kind of creepy undertones to it that are like, you know, we'll, we'll get into this, like the film It Follows, where you're suddenly like out the back of this, you're like, bang, my head is firing. I've got so many thoughts on what this means and how to interpret this, right? Yeah, and I, I didn't, at, at the beginning, I'd seen It Follows before, um, a while since I watched it. Um, but I think I watched it as a B movie. Do you know what I mean? I think I watched it as a like, oh, I don't really recognize anyone in the cast. Is this just kind of like interesting trivial horror film, you know? And I watched it before and I was like, ah, that's quite a nice concept. That's interesting enough. When I watched it again, this time around with an analytical eye, trying to sort of look for the themes and what's going on, it really opened me up to the fact that there's, there's just so much more going on here. There's there's actually quite a bit happening within this film, yeah. and like like you're saying, it does have these kind of like elevated ideas, and that it's tackling ideas as opposed to the horror genre per se. Um, 
but we can get into all that. Do you want me to spoil it very quickly? Yeah, go on, give us a spoiler. Let me get the. Uh, let I'm going to. I'm going to warn you in advance. So I saw um, at the weekend. Um, I'll give a shout out to a good friend of mine, Ira, who occasionally listens to the pod. And and I said, why not all the time, Ira? Why not all the time? Step up, Um, mom. But she said something very interesting to me. I was like, how do you feel about us doing the the spoiler bit? Because I'm useless at it. Um, You're You're sort of marginally better than me. Um, No, no, no. You're being too kind of check the last few, mate. Pathetic at it. Check the last few. But then she said, do you know what? I actually quite like it because if I haven't seen the film for a while, it's really helpful to have the kind of plot sort of actually broken down so that I can go, oh yeah, I remember that happens and that happens and that happens. So then it made me think, do you know what? I actually need to get my ducks in a row this week and not do a shoddy like thing that I did with the last one I did where I got about halfway into the first act and then it time's up. So I'm ready to go. I'm going to nail it and I'm going to get us a very good... Can I, can I just ask, is this, uh, this feels like... Ben, you basically saying in not so few words, you're going to cheat, that you've made notes. Well, I, I just went through earlier on and I was like, bang, 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 bang. I'm going to nail you. that point. I'm going to nail uh, that point. I'm going to nail that you. point. I've caught you. You can't, you yeah, can't get one past me, mate. You can't get Le- one past me. <laughs> right. I've, I've fessed up early doors. I'll let, <laughs> I'll, I'll let it pass. All right, I'll let it pass. Even though I do, I do recall you, uh, you, know, you explicitly told Purdy he couldn't Google no that was the quiz at the end sorry that was the five degrees of separation i'll let you off i'll let you off my excellent bad. my bad my bad oh we need right. to do that at the end of this as well five four three two one go okay so bit of a spoiler alert i think lol in the spoilers in code section i think that it follows is about sexual awakening stis and the kind of tragic sort of boredom of becoming an adult the film is about jay who looks as though she's going through the courting phase of what's the name of the guy uh hugh they're seeing each other they have sex in his car he then kind of puts a chloroform handkerchief over the top of her and says right i'm kidnapping you takes her up to an abandoned car park and tells her he's basically given her the worst sti of all time she could be followed by a demon who's going to essentially kill her if it gets close enough the demon can only go at walking pace so she's got enough time to get away if she wants to the only way she can avoid it is if she sleeps with someone else and passes the demon on to them jay wrestles with the moral quandary of basically should she sleep with someone else or not should you pass on this curse to someone else we see her two friends try and sleep with her and they have very different intentions and different uh, versions of what they want to do uh, towards ba, 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 ba. Nice though. God. Nice, nice, nice. Three quarters of the way through. Basically, after that, she um, they, they think they've killed this demon. Um, the final shot shows that maybe they haven't after all. And do, you know, be, do you know what I noticed? Because it's easy, it's easy to criticise somebody else, but then I've, I'm, whenever I listen back, I realise it myself as well. Do you know where we fuck up on this? We spend too long establishing the film. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah and yeah. and you did it. just just a little critique again. There, there was a good thirty seconds, seconds gone of establishing the film. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you're 100%. like, can't you just got to bang, 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 go through it, just all. fire through it. Um, well, that was better than my last, my last attempt. Good. So that I'll take good. that. Um, that so let, do you know what? I think I have got on my running order. I've just merged a couple of bit, a couple of these bits because I want to just, if it's okay, mate, I want to throw this out there straight away. Mm-hmm. What is this film about? What is this film about? Um, well, 
there's many there's a lot of different interpretations about this right aren't there let's i mean let's let's go first we'll talk about like sexual awakening i think mm-hmm. look there's a there's a clear i mean a very clear line in this film about sex young people their relationship with it the 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 chain if you like the way in which you know Everybody is trying to shag one another. Who has shagged who at what point kind of thing. We all remember that from our youth, right? We all remember the kind of conversations we had, the kind of the unrequited loves, the casual flings, the more serious things, whatever. And so I think it kind of, it it deals with a lot of that stuff on a very kind of human level in a way. It's just so funny that like the film has this undertone of like when people do sleep with one another, they're chased by this demon. Now, one, in, I mean, there's there's different, I, I kind of watch this and I f- have various different kind of feelings about what this means. One of them, I would say up front while we're on this topic, is that to me it feels like the baggage that comes with sex, especially for women, for girls, I think, it's never just a kind of straight. So if we if we look at the kind of the protagonist, right? It's Jay. It's all centers around the girl. The film isn't Hugh. Hugh has managed to go in there, get his end away, and be like, "Okay, this is your problem to deal with now." As he goes off and lives his life as as kind of normal, manages to cut himself completely off of the grid. They have to go to great depths to find him. You can kind of draw from this. Maybe this is about pregnancy, teenage pregnancy, all this type of stuff. I guess that's a related feature to it, I think. But one of the main things that jumps out for me is the idea that, and we all remember this from school, right? Maybe it's a bit different now. Young people are more progressive or whatever. But really, the mentality was, I'm sure we will say, girls that slept around at school were slags. Blokes that did were players. That's just kind of how it worked. And I feel like this film is kind of making that point about the looming threat that does follow teenagers, the dark issues that surround sex. It's fun. There's, you know, there, there is a good side to it, but there is this kind of darkness that's lingering in the shadows that still kind of, we've got that clear line where nobody at any point talks to their parents. Have you noticed that in this film yeah. about what's happening? Like nobody shares this story of their parents. They're 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 like in mortal peril, and there's no parental figures anywhere within this film, other than the one weird one <laughs> with with old mate's mum. Um, but how do you feel about like that as an interpretation? Mate? Yeah, no, but like agree, agree, agree. And then there's four or five other things that you could chuck in on 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 top. I think there is. There, there's a very vulgar term for this that I found on a comment uh, on YouTube that I won't use. Um, Do it, go but on. well, the, the, on on on, I think it was. You can make it more PG if you want. You know? Yeah, well, the the feeling that someone would have after they've just finished post-coitus. Yeah, that's it. Um, and the there's a great line. It's in my, one of my favourite films of all time is Notting Hill um, and because I'm totally soppy but Julia Roberts is and you love Julia Roberts yeah and she's just amazing and I love Hugh Grant as well to be fair um, but she says they go to bed with Gilda they wake up with me 
And and <laughs> the line is basically saying they go to bed with the dream and then they wake up with reality. And I think within this, every time there's a lot I text you saying there's a lot of donkey in this. I don't remember there being this much, mm. you know, but it's very intentional. Right. Because every single time that that happens, it's immediately followed with a scene that basically shows the person looking underwhelmed. Um, mm. And I think there is so much for young people that, they, that young people get stressed about and panicked about and worked up about in terms of like, it's got to be amazing or it's got to be this or it's got to be that. And then the film kind of shows that actually a lot of the time or the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, you build it so much up in your head that the reality of taking that step into adulthood is not nearly as kind of uh, satisfying or fulfilling as you imagine as a teenager that it's that it's going to be it's just a thing that people it, do it's just life yeah it yeah. just kind of is something you know um and there is all of the characters seem to be going through this this kind of like sexual awakening and and transition into adulthood and i think there's something here i said it in the, the spoilery bit i think about the idea of the sad reality that adulthood is not what you think it's going to be. It's not the thing of like, well, I'm grown up now. So all the fun stuff. And it's like, no, you're grown up now. So all the, like all the real stuff, you know, you've now got to deal with other feelings and other things. Um, so yeah, for me, that was like a lot of the, the, um, a lot of the themes that it, were, it was getting at, and a lot of feelings and emotions it was conveying were around that idea of the clarity that you have after you post-coitus, as you said, and that that sudden feeling of like, oh, I wasn't expecting it to be like that, and be like that. And I think the character of Paul is a really interesting one because he's besotted with Jay. So Paul is the kind of like nerdy, sort of quite slim guy that clearly fancies j times a thousand um and he's friend zoned and then he even gets to the point where he's just completely infatuated with her gets to the point where they eventually have some nookie and even he's like oh do you feel any different and she's like no do you and he's like, well, no it's, it's funny like watching it like charlotte said when we were watching it, it's like it's like he literally now like the whole film, he's just wanted to shag her. And now she's actually got this thing. It's almost just like now he's just got the excuse to just do it. I found their sort of dynamic actually quite grim. I thought he was quite a grim character. And I think it was quite purposeful. I think yeah, he was the guy that was in any other movie, in any other movie of this type of genre. And I do think this film does subvert this whole genre, right? The whole kind of horror, teenage, slasher whatever summer camp movie in that he would normally be the foil, the kind of the nerdy sweet guy who she's always ignored to this point. And then at the end they hook up and it's all nice and lovely, but really what this, I think this represents that character in, in a more true sense in that he is just kind of like this soppy dog trying to be nice all the time, trying to kind of, almost manipulate her in, in quite a lot of the sort of scenes just because he 
just wants to get his end away with her. I'll yeah. come and look after you. I'll do this. And she knows exactly what he's up to as well. That's the thing. She doesn't buy it for a second. Yeah, and the film does do this whole thing of being like, I, I think a lot of it is about intention, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, who's got the purest intentions? Who's, for Jay, at the beginning, she's on her date with Hugh and she mm. she seems to have a kind of giddiness and a kind of excitement there. And her intentions aren't bad. Um but she's met with the reality of what she does because she's sort of leaning out the car. She's lying there and she's saying, like, oh, when we were younger, I always had this vision and blah, blah, blah. And then he leans over the top of her and covers her in a napkin filled with chloroform so she passes out. Um, but the other guys, I mean, her two friends who are supposed to be people that she could trust, both kind of just take advantage. And they're like, oh, I'll be I'll be the good guy and I'll, I'll do this for you. And it's like, well... One of them, the guy who ends up dying, I forget his name, he um, he's he sort of leans into it saying like, oh, she was just making it up the whole time. She was like, didn't really understand. She was having a bit of an episode. So he basically admits to kind of just doing it, knowing that she was vulnerable. Yeah. Then the, the kind of weedy guy thinks he's being romantic, but actually is is far... Like he clearly sort of regrets it afterwards or, or thinks that he has made the wrong decision or actually realizes that it was lust and not love. Mm. Um, and then I think uh, the other thing it does is that it really, like you said, it shines a light on the the way in which people approach it and the, the, the kind of nature of like why people want to why people at that age group want to act in that way. And and that, that whole following thing is like, like, like you said, the chain of it, right? Is that th this idea of like, oh, you did it because you did it and you did it because you did it and I'm doing it because they're doing it. And, and that whole kind of thing of being a anxiety ridden teenager and everything feeling like the most important thing in the world. So you have to kind of, follow suit and do whatever everyone else is doing did, did you notice as well in terms of like you know how i was saying on the idea of it being about the way in which kind of women are often kind of this the lingering sort of threat in sexuality that, and what it means for women is that not only was she being followed by the beast she's been followed by all these different guys throughout the film as well like the two guys that want to get in with her even down to the pervy little boys that keep looking over well, her face looking over the swimming her. pool. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you then know? there's the other bit. It's always in One... the gaze of something, like a type of predator in a way. Yeah. And there was a, there was a weird flip on that, wasn't there? When she was in the sea and then she looked out and there was three lads on a boat. And do you remember that bit? Yeah. Where she then yeah. goes out and it, and it, and it really, flips that it really kind of flips that motif because she's the way that she's portrayed is is someone who has been put in a position where she's vulnerable and she's forced to do this like the camera shows it as like her entering the water as opposed to her chasing these guys you know so even even in that situation where she becomes almost the predator she's not displayed in that mm. way she's very much shown as someone who's been put in this position she's at the she's at the mercy of the other character she's been placed in this uncomfortable position by the other characters and she has the 
uh, moral quandary. We don't ever see any of the other male characters sit there and talk about the morality of what they're doing or whether it's right or wrong or whether it's a good decision or a bad decision. They are, they're every, I believe, I think that's right, every character in the film that has the kind of curse, all their number one instinct is how do I pass this on? Whereas we see her actually take it a lot more seriously, you know? Can I, can I give you one other theory that I kind of thought about out the back of this? And it's not, it's, it's in part my theory and it's in part kind of backed by, you know, other, other people basically looking at Reddit threads and all this type of stuff. So there's another way I felt that you could interpret this is that the whole kind of act of sex, the act of whatever it is, like you say, t- tied in with that idea of it being actually quite mundane, of it actually being something that our society, our culture ties up as being a big event, a big thing, a, yeah, something that is whatever, emotional, spiritual, if you like. If you actually strip it down to the fact that if some people buy into the idea that the secret is really, it's a mechanical act, it's an act of procreation, the act of procreation, which is us realizing that we are here to spawn somebody else some you know that's what we're passing on and the knowledge comes to us that really what is always following us is death us as an individual we are always being followed by death we have these windows of satisfaction of fun of and it's it's again it's very pertinent that this is at that coming of age time the coming of age time when they're kind of like teenagers going into like college university sort of age when you're first starting to become aware of the fact of the passage of time i'm not a child anymore actually i am going to be however old in however many years i need to use my time as best i can and sex suddenly becomes like you say it becomes more of a mundane thing it becomes an act of yes it's still a pleasurable fun thing to partake at any age but there also comes the idea that it is an act of procreation that we are here for a finite amount of time and it's very important to to remember that the character right at the end i forget the name of it but she is reading the idiot dostoevsky's the idiot and she reads that quote at the very end of the film and i think it is telling the quote being and the most terrible agony may not be in the wounds themselves but in knowing for certain that within an hour, then within 10 minutes, then within half a minute, then at that very instant, your soul will leave your body. You will no longer be a person. And that is certain. The worst thing is, it is certain. You you know, and I think that is quite telling that thought that as far as we run, as much as we try to hide from it, it is always going to come and get us sooner or later. And, And yeah. There is um, there is a scene within the film as well where it kind of foreshadows that, right? Where it, I think they're in the hospital and there's just a yeah. strange like kind of panning of the cameras along and it shows... Like a montage, isn't it? In yeah, a, way. a montage and it shows a child being born and then it kind of shows this, um, it, it shows... It, 
someone dying. It shows someone kind of, and it, it, again, it show it goes then to show adulthood as well. It shows the the phases of life, and it was quite interesting to me, sort of, because at the time I was thinking, I wonder what that's saying. And it was only afterwards that I was like, oh, okay, it's definitely hinting at the fact that ultimately there are only a few certainties, you know. Um, but it, I wondered, did you look at the nature of why they are? the way that they are, the people following being sort of... Uh, did they all have their own metaphorical... Yeah. I, I I did look into it. I couldn't actually find anything because I was trying to work it out myself. I guess in some way, I guess the sort of the various different... You've got the old lady in the nightgown, which she isn't bloodied, she isn't messed up or anything like that, to say the young girl, the cheerleader, who is all bloodied, who is fucked up, it's maybe showing you it's a representation of death, of death yeah. in the various different ways it can occur to, you know, happen to people and maybe, but I, I don't know for certain. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, so this is probably a good, this is probably, actually, no, before we get on to the rules of the game, because I feel like that's a really mm. fun one to get into. Um, when do you think this is set? I don't know. We, we we were talking off air, weren't we, before? A very good example of this type of uh, neverwhere um, fiction is Sex Education, mm. uh, Netflix's series, where you don't really, you know, it's, it's everyone's got a British accent, but it could be set in America. Um, it's very American styled. Their phones and stuff, it's not, they haven't got an I, the latest iPhone or the latest Android or whatever. You know, they just have generic device um the tvs and all this type of stuff the cars you don't really know and I, I you do get that feeling with with it follows as well the film's from 2014 right but it could have been set could have been set in the 80s um although producer purdy did say there are there's a couple of scenes of a mobile phone in it right yeah but they aren't but it is a very kind of like strangely high tech mobile phone so it's it is yeah it's an interesting one um let's see if i can google it now just but i think sex education is such a great comparison and also i have to say the music and the score made me think of stranger things Mm. because it was like quite synthy and quite sort of like electro-y and it, it made me think of um yeah it made me sort of think of that kind of um how, how it is just a synth sound isn't it the beating synth sound yeah yeah very drawn out very um it, it, it helps to orchestrate the the drama at points because you know there's that kind of that low kind of constant dull sound when the thing is walking towards them but they yeah. also use that say for example in the scene when it's just a girl walking past them you know they use that same yeah. music how um out of all of the things that follow what is the scariest one for you it's the man the big tall man the big man when, <laughs> yeah when she's been knocking on the door and you think oh who's there and then it turns out to be the mate and then the big man walks past her yeah. horrible horrible and he like, sort of like looms over the door doesn't he yeah it really prods a really grim dull dark feeling inside of me seeing him the way it moves all of it the lack of emotion no kind of hissing or growling or nothing just walking towards that great like you say terror. huge looming figure with the big yeah. bags under his eyes and everything Horrible. yeah yeah Horrible. i think the old lady as well for some reason 
because the old lady's face is just so blank. Also, the guy standing on the roof of his knob out. But that's weird. Is it? What is he wearing? Like a loincloth or something, isn't he? I don't know. But why is he standing on the roof? <laughs> what are you doing no on the idea. roof? Because they said earlier on in the film, they were like, yeah, he's slow, but he's intelligent. Cuts to man on roof of knob out. You know, so the actor, oh, very sad to say, Mike Lanier, the man who played the tall man, uh, has very recently passed away. Oh, no. Um, actually, yeah. Seven foot seven. Wow. Seven foot that seven. Is... He was. Jeez. Yeah. Um, he, but yeah, passed away in 2018. So. God, that's yeah, that's sad. Um, I mean, I'll tell you what, while we, because we've spoken about the music, we've spoken about that. One thing I do have to shout out with this film, mate, and I don't know if, if you felt the same, the the cinematography, but also the use of shots, the big, wide, expansive shots, a lot of circling shots, um, very slow, establishing shots that generally, for me, tend to show the monster could strike from any angle. You know, it yeah, can come from yeah. any angle, anytime, yes. anywhere. Um, and it also allow, it gets you into the minds of the character because you've been told from the very start, always make sure you're in yes. a room with two exits. Yeah. You know? yeah. So you're but always th- th- looking Then it for works it. both ways, right? Yeah. You always make sure you've got multiple exits, but then it means you kind of can be got at from any angle, which is, yeah. that. I mean, and that um, that constant kind of, the camera stopping and looking almost like in a tunnel-like fashion at the different options available is is really really cool. Like the scene when they're at the swimming pool and it's you're just looking at the different doors and they've got bits set up around the the swimming pool. Bit of a strange one that I thought. How mm. they were like, right, we're gonna lure it in, then electrocute it. I guess. I it, to me it almost felt like, and I don't know about you, it almost felt like. There was maybe an additional bit of law or something that happened that maybe didn't make the final cut that yeah, you saw. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That you because yeah. I thought exactly that when I watched it, and I thought maybe for some reason the monster got zapped by something in one of the scenes, and then they were like, "Hmm, actually, I Could know we what do we can that? do yeah. here." But then it might have taken away from the threat of the monster if you'd already seen that it could be got at some way. Yeah, so that's kind do, of how I thought about that. I do wonder whether with these films that almost the director has to direct two films. Mm. That the director has to take you down the kind of traditional arc, right? And build a story that works. And then sort of underneath the line, do the, tell the story that they want to tell. Yeah. Um, and I think the story underneath the line on this is far better than the story over the top of it. Um because that you kind of you get to the end and you're like, oh, she shot it in the head and there's blood everywhere and it's mm. dead, I think. But but equally, there's enough kind of to to keep it to keep the movie interesting because it is the concept is just quite interesting, right? How how, how creepy is it, mate? Like one of the things that's so brilliant about it is, and there's a couple of instances of this, right? So number one very much so the very final the ambiguous ending of the film the very final shot of the film when they're walking down the street and you see somebody walking behind them but blurry yeah so that's so well and that's kind of again that constant threat within this film is that the feeling that it is always there no matter how slow no matter how kind of much it's pacing towards them it's still there and then there's another one similar to that 
when they, I believe it's when they go to the Hughes school and find him and they're all sat in the car um, and it's not really drawn. The score doesn't change or anything, but you can just see a kind of girl in a sports jacket walking slowly towards the car where they're sat and they drive off and nothing's made of it, but you're always still like, Ooh, was that it? I don't know. You start, um, you start scanning every shot, don't you? Yeah. It's almost a bit like, where's Wally? It's quite cool that you kind of find yourself being like, and, and instead of looking for something that is, um, see, this is another cool thing, right? You're not looking for something that's out of the ordinary. You're looking for something that's too ordinary. You're mm. looking for something that's too simple and too, why is that person moving slowly? You know, mm. so it's quite a, quite a fascinating thing to kind of search for. And on the ending, I mean, it's a really cool ending because you, because the idea, I, I assume the idea that the director's getting out there or that, that the writing is getting out there is that they supposedly are doing happily ever after, but, even in happily ever after, there's always things like lust or relationships can break down or you like people have affairs or even when you think that you're at your most happy, maybe everything's not quite as perfect as it as it as it might seem. And he he looks like he's got exactly what he wants, but then there is that ominous threat just behind him. And the thing is we don't know whether she's got exactly what she wants. Like, I feel like the ending is quite ambiguous on that front as well. You sort of, you can't tell whether she's just decided whether she's like, okay, this is a bit of self-preservation thing, or whether she actually sort of wants to be with him, which I thought was quite interesting. Because I read it as that the the monster or the curse or whatever is still very much alive. Mm, same. And, and that, that thing was following them again. Um, I didn't necessarily get the idea of the blood in the swimming pool. I just couldn't work it out and i think like you said maybe there's something that just maybe there's something there that that was cut out to kind of keep it tight because it's quite a tight film i think it's one hour 39 it's it's very it's it's, yeah it's decent isn't it and i I kind of feel like more films need to embrace that i agree particularly this kind of film there were there were certain films that you're like okay i can strap in you know I, I, I keep butchering the name, The Killing of Flower Moon, or what is it? Scorsese's new movie coming yeah. out. Come on, I think what's it, it called? is The Killing of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Um, there's talk today that's going to be three and a half hours long. The, oh. the theatrical cut is going to be three and a half hours long. Do you reckon they'll pause so we can go for a pee halfway through? I mean, they should do, shouldn't they? And Scorsese's made the point that, uh, you know, people will sit in the theatre for six hours. Why can't we start treating cinema the same way? I agree. Fair point. Um, I mean, the reason why we don't is because you need to have more showings in more cinema screens and yeah. whatever. That's a lot, though, isn't it's it? An industry. It's a business. Yeah, it it, it is a lot. Um, I mean, apparently there's going to be a, a cut of Napoleon, which is four and a half, five hours long, or at least there's enough for it to be that long. Um, so, you know, who knows? We'll see. Um, but this was like some of these horror films where you've got a strong concept and... Look, I think It Follows is great. I really, I really love this film. I think it's tonally brilliant. I think there's a lot of peril there. I think it has a good message to it. However, I think even by the end of this, by the end of the one hour 40, I'm like, okay, right, we're getting to the end of this kind of the idea of it now. Let's let's wrap it up. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, they, I think they, yeah. they time it just right. So were it to be longer, um, it would be, you know, 
It it would it would just be a bit much, wouldn't it? I'm trying to find a couple of other films because if if Killing of the Flower Moon is going to be three and a half, I'm trying to think of the. Do you have a film that you think of off the bat that you're like that was a bloody long film? Irishman. Ah, oh, okay. So my one's Titanic. I always think God Titanic was long, and that was three hours and fourteen. Do, do you know what though? I, I will say. When did you last watch it? Um, not for a while. Irishman was three hours twenty nine. So Titanic, we watched. It was the whatever twentieth or th- fuck. It might. Oh, be did 30th. you do that? You did the the, the anniversary. anniversary. Yeah. I think it was twentieth. I think it was twentieth, or it might have been thirtieth actually. God. Or t- no, it's twenty fifth. There you go. Twenty fifth anniversary of Titanic. We saw it again in the cinema. Um, it flew by. It was yeah, it holds like you, doesn't it? Good what film. a film made for this and for the because you know I'd seen it. I think I'd only no, I did see it in the cinema. Um, but I don't really remember it that much. Seeing it on kind of TV and stuff a few times and being always a bit like meh about it. But watching it again in the cinema at this age, I was like, wow, the craft and the love put into that by James Cameron. Yeah, I, yeah. I can allow him this long running time for what he's put into this film. And the way it's paced, the way it was written, it is, it's magnificent. It's a great film. So some films, I think you can do it. You can get away with it. The Godfather, that type of stuff. A horror film with one central concept with a very kind of small world built around it. Does it need to be much more than one hour? No, I mean, I, I guess, you know, this is says us that <laughs> the podcast that did 20 minutes talking about bulking at the start <laughs> of a film podcast. So who are we to talk about verbosity? Um, yeah. Should we do the rules of engagement? I'm so keen to yeah, do this. Mate. Because this is one thing that has ever since I first saw this film this thought will always somehow creep into my head it will always we play creep this into game my with mind. my friends in the pub yeah like genuinely i'm not i'm not the biggest and i'm not i'm not just trying to like not look like a nerd here i'm not the biggest doctor who fan or anything but right. i caught this i caught a random episode once i don't know if you've ever seen it with um these like stone angel things where when you turn your back on them and then you turn back and look at them they've somehow gotten closer but you'll never see them move um Ooh. yeah it's kind of a it's kind of like a more scary toy story oh dear bless you oh, bless me um yeah bless you, bless you um so there's that but this the concept in it follows i've always kind of thought to myself what would i do were it me like how do you get away from this this thing um and the, the problem is because it's you assume it doesn't sleep it doesn't stop to rest it doesn't doesn't eat unless it's just killing somebody. When you actually kind of look at distances, walking distances, you can do it on Google Maps. And I thought at first I was like, okay, let's look at a walking distance to Dorset, for example, from here. Nice coastal, whatever. Get down there pretty easily. A couple of hours on a car. It's only like a two-day walk. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You think you could get further away. It's only 65 days to Australia. Which is now, mental. Can the creature walk across the seabed though? Well, that's that's the thing. That's like, that's what, when I was saying about the layers of the storytelling, it's really tough to know, right? So does it does it just stay three miles an hour walking speed, but it can go along the seabed? It can, and also it's intelligent, supposedly. Could it, I don't know, stand on an aeroplane? Would it... 
could it go on in it? Like, these are all the things that you need to know because that's the first thing you do, right? You'd be like, right, I'll fly to Australia and then I get two months and I'll fly home for two months. And also, could then, you just outlast it? Could you? But just as be like, Charlotte and I were saying then, you say that again, you say, oh, I'll just I'll fly to Australia and fly back. What do you do for money? Great point. How, what's, how does your life look when you're having to move around all the time like this and always escape from this thing? Surely, like, society, circumstance, it wears you down. Um, and maybe this is almost one of the points that the film is trying to make as well. I'm just saying that as I kind of... Eventually, it'll just catch about you. about that now. Yeah. The yeah, and also, would you just get to a point where you got... Because at the beginning of the film, oh, this is interesting, at the beginning of the film, she just gives up, doesn't mm, she? She does. Because she's just like, she can't face it anymore, which is interesting. But yeah, what would you... I think, honestly, what I would do straight away is go as far away as possible and then try and hatch a plan with the, the time I've got. I saw another theory saying that you should try and trap it in the ground. Interesting. And then pour cement on it. <laughs> I, lo I love theories like this. Like, Isn't it so funny? The but I feel like it's super strong that it would still be able to walk out through the cement. I feel there's a bit of a T-1000 vibe to it, right? But what have we got? We know that it that it is strong and it can take any form and it also will take the form of people that you know. So it's not just people that it's interacted with. But what are the others? Is there other bits that I've missed? Well, it does interact. The other thing is as well, we do see it interact with its surroundings. So it smashes windows. It oh, picks yeah. Up rocks. And it does in that really interesting way, kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Look, look, think about it. Did you see how bloody accurate it was chucking all those things at her when she was in the pool at the end? Yeah, when it was slinging the toaster at her. <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> and it was literally like a baseball-style pitcher just slinging bit. And she, that, was, that was one thing that really jumped out at me. I was like, that is un... But like the way that she was just getting clanged by electrical goods bought from Comet and then just <laughs> layered around the pool. And she just getting tonked in the head. It was really, really quite funny. Also interesting that it will, as like when the lad slaps it with the chair, it will attack you even if you're not on its list. Yeah, and then he got like burns on him. Mm. So there is something to it. Like that was... That was, yeah, that, see, this is the other thing, right? I feel like I want some more rules because I actually want to know. I, I, I think I'm going to Australia for starters because that's the furthest point or as far away as I can get. And then, I'm, and then I'm 65 days to come up with a good plan. But then beyond that, I think I would get to the point where I'd just be like, I can't do this anymore. And because I just, then you get I old, you get, you know, whatever, infirmed as you see in the in the film itself. You know, she ends up sleeping with her kind of creepy neighbour. Again, she does actually reveal that she'd slept with him previously um, when they're in high school together. Um, oh, does she? I missed yeah. that bit. Did, she says that because the, the boy, the what's his name? The kind oh, why of the, was it him? Yeah, he says, why was it him? She said, oh, well, I'd already done it with him before, you know, when we were in high school, so I didn't think it was any big deal. And that was like crushing to him as well. Yeah. yeah. He's like... <laughs> but it also adds to the, you know, the point that you were saying about the mundanity of like sex and sexual encounters as well, you know? Yeah, that was... That the um that was that was an interesting scene actually the the one you were just talking about about um 
the, the that lad gets his head smashed in by a deck chair. <laughs> it yeah. was very WWF, wasn't it? Very yeah. kind of like <laughs> absolutely clocked in with it. <laughs> so good. Um, now you had another point you want to talk about here about the atmosphere, the mood, and the cinematography. Have we covered that, or do you want to? I think wanna... so. Yeah, I think we've kind of we've gone over that. You know, so I think we're we're all right there. Should we MVP it? Yeah, let's MVP it, yeah. So I think, for me, it kind of has to be the the character who plays Jay. Yeah, big time. Um, because really, says Micah Monroe, because mm. um, really, there's not many others that get the kind of... I don't think they get the opportunity to have the same beats to it. I w- would say that um, uh, we're giving a shout-out to the giant man as well. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's a there's a good uh, point to be made about, um, and this isn't my original thought. This is something I've seen in the research for this pod. Um, is that yeah, Jay's character in this, in terms of like how this film subverts a lot of the horror genre, um, and especially the teen slasher kind of genre. Her character it also in part subverts the you know the kind of girl boss final girl. Yeah trope that we've spoken about previously with psycho who's usually a fairly um sexless androgynous character who only has the pure function in a non-emotional way of finding a solution to the problem within the film um whereas she needs to do all this but sex is obviously a major component of the film um but ultimately, yes, you know, she's surrounded by, I think it is quite interesting to see again, it's another film where she is surrounded by men and it's still kind of on her to just deal with it, take it into her own hands a lot of the time. Um, so I think there, there is a kind of, there is a, a decent kind of theme there that's, you know, around, I guess, female empowerment of, you know, what have you, all that stuff. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But I think Michael Monroe, she really does. I just think there's, there's, it's sometimes it's less about, you know, it's more in the unsaid, like we say, some yeah. of those yeah. moments with between Jay and Paul. I see it as the, the her kind of, you know, the guy who's desperate to get in there with her, where she wants, she knows exactly what he's up to. The puppy dog act isn't working with her. The I'm a nice guy act, it just doesn't work with Even her. Even when he's like, oh, you know? do you want me to stay? And she's like, no. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, straight away. The kind of the disdain with which she looks at the, like, the pervy little boys, even though they're only little boys, she's kind yeah. of giving them a look as if to say, piss off, you know? Yeah. Um so I think she, I think she's just she's very good. It's not melodramatic the performance. She executes the emotional beats really well. I just think it's yeah. The film is centered on her. It's it's probably a lot for you know any actor actress to have to take on board, and especially I imagine she was pretty young when she did that. She was you know great. Has she had anything yeah. big since she was in Watcher? Was that good? I don't I know. Never saw that. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it either. No, um, so I'm just looking at her IMDb. She wasn't... Oh, I've heard of this film. Watcher is supposed to be brilliant. I've, oh, really? Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard very good things about that. Um, I might give that a, give that a look. I would like to see it. It's not got a very good review on IMDb, but I would like to see that film. Um, I, I took Greta. I've seen the film Greta that she's in. Um, really enjoyed that. 
really, just really enjoyed that film. Too much, not too much else. Um, okay, what? Um, Final one of war crime. Where, where are we going this one? I feel like it's aging, like it's aging better now than it would have done sort of previously. Yeah, I think it's a very fun one. I think it's great. Like the, you know, like you say, without any anchoring technology or anything like that, I think there's plenty of themes there that will be more than kind of applicable and relatable to a Gen Z and younger audience of, you know, like we say, the kind of the the considerate engagement in sex, consent, the dangers around the kind of, you know, sexual awakening that that period in your life when you don't know what people's motives are what people's intentions are like we see you know hugh who seems to be this nice guy is trying to sleep with her for a sinister intention you know and if it, obviously it doesn't mean literally in the sense that people you sleep with are going to chloroform you and have a demon come and chasing after you but it does show you that people can have an ulterior motive um and i think i think that's very relatable i think lots of the the images around uh, you know the way in which women are harassed harangued in a sexual nature are pretty timeless unfortunately to say um and yeah, yeah i think i think it holds up i don't think there's anything kind of you know objectionable there i would say perhaps in the uh in the casting of the film there's zero diversity so we would yeah. probably in 2023 look at the film in, in that light and say, you know, could do better there, um, could and should do better there, I should say. So that's where it would fall down. But I think in terms of like the, the way in which the film is, you know, written, directed, the message behind it, I think it's I think it's a very fun one, personally. Yeah, I think also the... the um the themes within it are becoming, I think if you went to see this at the cinema, you might not necessarily have grabbed a lot of the themes straight away. If you'd just gone to watch it and kind of taken it at face value, I think actually upon reflectioning, you get a lot more out of it than I, than I realized. So no, this mm. is a really, really good one. Um, so, Oh, ratings. Tell me, what did it do? Let's have a look. Let's have a look. So, it follows. Wow, harsh. IMDb six point eight. Wow, six point eight on rot uh, on IMDb. Let's have a look on Rotten Tomatoes. Ninety five percent certified fresh. Oh wow! Wow, big big score there. Big big score. Sixty six percent on the audience score though. Interestingly okay. enough, interesting. Let's just have a quick look at some of the reviews. Um, Lanique Cruz from The Atlantic, It Follows, represents a compelling evolution in how studios and audiences can and should conceive of monsters. Liz Braun of the Toronto Sun, no question the storytelling here is impressive. The story itself is a bit thin. Yeah, I, d I don't think that's overly harsh. Um, Alison Wilmore of BuzzFeed says, it's a testament to how scary a movie it follows is that for days after watching it, you walk around thinking up survival plans. That's so good. That that's is so perfect. Good. Like, very that's brilliant. Good. Very, um, very good. Metacritic. Let's see what they have to say. It follows. Get there. Sorry, just loading up. 83% on Metacritic. So that's very good for Metacritic. And it's got on the must-see. Metacritic must-see badge as well. Wowzers. Universal acclaim. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, Metacritic's usually the harshest one, so I am surprised to see um, IMDb with the, uh, you know, with the uh, with the lowest uh, thing. Do you know? I tell you what is inter- interesting. Chuck Wilson of Village Voice says Mitchell's unwillingness to define the parameters of the spectre haunting leads to a finale that's muddled and confusing. No, I, d- I don't agree with you there, Chuck. I don't. I think that adds to the mystique of the film. It ke- puts you in the position of the protagonist and it keeps you, like we said, like the last review said, keeps you wondering for days after, how do you deal with that monster? With so I just very much one disagree one caveat there. of the fact that we would like to, yeah, we'd like just a tiny bit more just a tiny bit more so that then we can play the game. <laughs> can it walk on the sea? But, but, do, but don't you think, I think it's very deliberate that it yeah, ends totally. the film at the bottom of a pool because totally. you are like, does, so, does that mean it gets, a, does that mean it walks through the sea? Shit. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, I liked it, man. This is a really good one this week. And like, yeah. I like, I do like the fact that it's, it's got a theme. It's got stuff for you to get your teeth stuck into beyond just being scary, you know? Um, so I kind of feel like people already know what we're doing next week because we already teed it up last week. But just so Perry can add the music. Um, whose turn is it to say? I think it's mine, isn't it? It's your turn. It's your turn. So, Killian Murphy classic. This is pre-Peaky Blinders. Before he is has gone on to create one of the most successful biopics of all time. Um, 28 Days Later amazing low budget i think it's film four as well i think it might be created by Mm -hmm. film four um very gritty british feeling zombie film um and it is honestly the soundtrack is amazing the setup is incredible and the fact that they commit to doing this so much of this was like shot at stupid o'clock in the morning um, so that they could create this deserted feel of, of London. I don't know if you'd get away with doing it now. I don't know if you could, could manage it in the same and, way. And as I've said previously, uh, I actually worked in the Odeon in Kingston-upon-Thames where it had its world preview, world premiere, and I was there. I, was, I drew the straw. I was in the film. I got to see it. So I've always had a special, it's always had a special place in my heart this 28 Days oh, Later. Magic. So I'm very, very happy to to see this. And also, speaking of Killian Murphy, he gets his willy out in it as well. Does he? Yeah, you've got that to look forward to, mate. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> um, do you want to finish? Do you want to finish up by seeing if we can get from um, if we can get from it follows twenty eight days later. This could be a tough one. Oh, okay. Let me. Just I'm see assuming I... we've got to go to Greta. Who is in Greta? Um, is it five or six degrees? Five. I'm gonna see because there's a website. I think you can do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat. Because so who's who's in Greta? Um, Chloe Maurice Goretz, isn't she? Okay, I've literally. Oh no, I I can't get it in in five. Or is it five is, degrees? Is, it? is she in Greta? Okay, yeah, she is. So Chloe Grace Moretz is in that. So she is also in. Um, Chloe Grace Moretz is in Bad Neighbours. She's also in um, uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer. Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Five Hundred Days of Summer. 
Um, and then he goes, <laughs> where do we go with that? Maybe Batman Inception. So what's he, so we're looking at Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? Yeah. And I'm trying to get, what has Killian Murphy done recently? Has Matt, I've oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Ford v Ferrari is um, Matt Damon and Christian Bale, isn't it? Matt Damon and um, uh, Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. <laughs> and then uh, Christian Bale in Dark Knight with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, 500 Days of Summer with Chloe Grace Moretz, Greta, back to It Follows. How's about it? You smashed that, mate. I love those little gays, man. Absolutely brilliant. We might wait, take that. Hang on, wait. Is Chloe, wait. Is Chloe Grace Moretz in 500 Days of Summer? Yes. Who is she in that? She plays his little sister who gives him the bollocking. Oh, mate. She is. What a shout. That is, imp- that is seriously impressive. I'm not going to lie. That was decent. That was actually You've quite even, good. So I, I was trying to cheat. I was. I used, I, I wanted to see if ChatGPT could work it out. ChatGPT could only do it in nine. Oh, no way. ChatGPT said, it follows, stars Michael Monroe. Michael oh. Monroe appears in The Guest, directed by Adam Wingard. Adam Wingard directed Blair Witch. Blair Witch, Valerie Curry plays one of the characters. Valerie Curry appeared in Twilight Breaking Dawn, which also features Robert Patterson. Robert Patterson in The Rover, The Rover, to David Michaud. David Michaud, The King, in which Killian Murphy had a supporting role. So, oh my God, I'm like I'm like Gary Kasparov versus mate, you're Deep better Blue. Than, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Checkmate, computer. <laughs> yeah. uh, Quick reminder, at BYOB Pod on the social channels, make sure you follow us if you haven't already. Get some comments in and we'll, we'll try and do some comments next week. We've been a bit slow on that, but we will. We'll get back to it. Um, what a pleasure. On to 28 Days Later. Much love. Bye-bye.